0: Slash Headspace fifty to get fifty percent off.
1: Hi, friends. Robin here, and I have got a game changer for you. Maybe you're like me and you're feeling the winter blues right now. Well, let me tell you about my recent game changing experience with Brook Linen. I decided to shake off the cold and give my bedroom a complete makeover. How, you ask? Well, with a spring bedding reset, thanks to Brook Linen. So, trust me, okay, transforming my room from chilly to cheerful, it was completely simple. All I did was I treated myself to a new Linen duvet and talk about a mood boost. It's like a color refresh for my entire bedroom space. I had no idea that changing linens could make such a big difference. So, Let's talk about Brooklinen's Magic Touch, okay? From Luxe Sateen to Classic Pre-Kale, there is a sheet weave for every type of sleeper. And can we talk about their award-winning sheets made with long staple cotton? At Space
0: Studios. Self-honesty is our salvation. So being able to be honest with yourself um, is what can save us, right? Have you ever wished you had a wise meditation teacher on speed dial? Someone you can call after a long day. Someone you could lean on for their advice. Someone to listen and help you to
1: see things differently. Welcome to Dear Headspace. Good day, friends. Here we are for another episode of Dear Headspace, a podcast where I sit down with one of our meditation teachers and we answer your questions about career, relationships, mindfulness, pretty much any question that is on your mind. I'm Robin Hopkins, and today I'm going to get into it with Dora. Hi, Dora. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. I'm so glad you're here today. Me too.
0: Fresh off a marathon. You did a marathon. I did. I did a half marathon and I did a full marathon. Is it three weeks now? That's crazy. Time, but I, Like, I don't even want to drive my car 26 miles. Like, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. It was, but there's just something about trusting in your body's ability to do hard things. I think it was a... Yeah, it was a really empowering moment for me. So it was hard, but it was like, wow, I can do this. And my body is more than capable to do it, which is such a blessing.
1: Uh, well, I'm very proud of you. Congratulations. Thank
0: you. Thank, you.
1: Thank and, you. And now I am going to change the subject a little because at this point, Dora, you must have heard some of the other teachers talking because we've been doing this thing where we've been asking rapid fire questions to get to know you guys a little bit better. And yes. I don't know if you're aware, but you're the last one and it's your turn. Oh, OK. No
0: pressure. No pressure. All right. Here we go. What movies make you cry? Oh, Interstellar made me cry. Really? That's the only movie that's ever made me cry.
1: Wait a minute. What? Yeah. That's the only movie that's ever made you cry?
0: Only movie that's ever made me cry. Why did, okay. Why did it make you cry? It just, it really pierced my heart. (laughs) Oh my (laughs) God. And maybe it was just a time in my life that I watched that movie, but it was very emotional.
1: (laughs) Okay. What irrational fear do you have?
0: Oh, this is kind of sad. I've had this fear actually this morning um, after finding out about the death of that young boy. I think it's in Kansas, Missouri. And I love children. I've always told myself like one of my goals in this life is to have children. And now I I don't know if it's it's not an irrational fear. I think there's a lot of rationale to it, but I'm afraid to have children now Mm -hmm. because of the state of the world. So. That's an irrational, I mean, it's irrational. Let me give you another one. Another irrational fear of mine. Um, The irrational part is what makes it hard. I know. I'm
1: like, all right, this one's easier. What's your favorite smell?
0: Ooh, my favorite smell. I'm really big into scent right now. I love rose Mm. um, and sandalwood. Um, I also really love the smell of like campfire. Oh. Yeah, those are my three right now. Okay, I love this for you. All right, what keeps
1: you up at night?
0: Uh, Not living in my purpose and not doing what I've been placed on this earth to do. I think about that a lot of like, am I fulfilling my purpose? And that definitely keeps me up at night.
1: (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I believe you are and you should just sleep better. So I'm going to say that for you. (laughs) Okay, you. Tell my mind that. (laughs) Just give me a call in the middle of the night. I'll probably be up and it's fine. Thank
0: you. Okay, thank you,
1: thank you. Now this is this is a tricky one. What yep. bridges do you not regret burning?
0: I I don't regret living a more mindful life because when you decide to live mindfully, not just to practice mindfulness and meditation but actually live in this way, there's a lot of shifts that happen in your life whether it's losing friendships, mm-hmm. leaving jobs, setting boundaries and I, yeah, I don't regret that bridge that was burned.
1: Got it. That's a good way of answering it. Okay. If you could have one wish, not for the betterment of the world, but for the betterment of Dora, what would it be?
0: Oh, I'm such a romantic. I wish that I could find the love of my life and it was someone that could just like understand me and not want me to change who I am. (laughs) You know what I mean? I just, yeah, I'm like back in the dating world and I'm just, I'm not picky, but I have standards, Robin. Listen. I just wish it was just easy as like snapping a finger, build-a-bear type of situation and he would just arrive. No, and it is not. I'll
1: tell you what though, do not settle, Dora. Do not settle. (laughs) You deserve excellence and someone who will treat you like thank the queen you. that you are. So thank you. Thank you. I have to say these rapid fired questions, they have just, they've been my favorite opening questions so far. And you did yeah. not disappoint.
0: I mean, I feel open. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. All right. Well, now it's time to turn our attention to another favorite part because we have so many faves in this podcast, listener questions. And today we've got questions about dealing with family and inheritances, how to stop overspending, and the age-old question, can meditation really change lifelong problems? Hmm. Okay. Let's get right into our first question from Jess. Here we go. Hi, my name is Jess and I'm from Queensland, Australia. I've been meditating with Headspace consistently for three weeks now and I feel a sense of calm immediately after I finish the session. But during meditation, I still get a strong sense of self-doubt or disbelief that meditation can truly change me. And I'm not sure if this is some kind of self-sabotage or not, I just want to know if meditation truly can change lifelong thought patterns and therefore my life. All right. I have to say, I think Jess and I are kindred spirits. Jess <laughs> been doing it for three weeks and is like, is this going to really work? And I, lo- I love you so much for that, Jess. Thank you for that
0: question. <laughs> Shout out to you, Jess. That's a really real question. It is. And I will just say right off the bat that, you know, the essence of mindfulness is knowing what you're doing while you're doing it. So in that awareness of, is this even working? (laughs) Am I doing it right? That's you being aware of, you know, of your thoughts. And that's what mindfulness is. I think sometimes we can get discouraged because we think that this is like a glamorous, you know, spicy, enlightening practice. But it's in those moments of self-doubt or self-sabotage or whatever we want to label it, of us being aware and awakening in that moment that that's the essence of the practice. So in realizing that, there's growth that comes from that. And there's also the other aspect of this question. in Three weeks, I mean... I don't know how old you are, Jess, but assuming—I'm 30, so I'm going to use 30—that you've just started to practice meditation for three weeks and you're 30 years old. I mean, you're undoing 30 years of conditioning Mm. and habits and patterns, so— I think a lot of people can get afraid or discouraged of like, I've been doing this for three weeks and nothing's happening. But instead, it's like, this is a lifelong journey. And that can be scary, right? Oh, I have to do yeah. this forever. But it's also like, there's grace in that. Have compassion for yourself because, again, 30 years versus three weeks, there's a lot of work that we got to do. You know, the mind has been conditioned in such a way for so long that. When we sit and we become aware, uh, we realize, like, how much work that needs to be done. And, yeah, yeah, not to be discouraged by it. For me, it's like a thing of playfulness of, like, ooh, (laughs) I'm a little bit messed up, you know? (laughs) I got a lot going on underneath this (laughs) hood, but it's exciting for me. So I hope it can be exciting for people, too.
1: You know, like, I find it's, like, how do you know if you're doing it right? How do you know if—especially in the beginning, because it's just, like, Mm. it's hard Yeah. I mean, I don't know really what my question is other than it's hard, Dora. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's the thing. Um, My mentor a few months ago was like, there's no guarantee with meditation and mindfulness. I think sometimes it can be marketed of like 10 days, relaxation will arrive, or 20 days and your stress will be gone. But to be honest, there's no guarantee. And the only thing I can actually guarantee people is that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because again... (laughs) You're sitting with the mind, right? You're you're understanding the mind, you're understanding the way it moves, the different thoughts that you're more prone to thinking. Yeah. Maybe you're sitting with the fact that you're always negative or judgmental and super critical of yourself. Like those are things that will come up in your practice that you have to sit with, and the only way through is inwards, right? Yeah. You have to be with those things and make space for them. And the funny thing about the practice is that the more that you do that, the less overwhelming or controlling those thoughts will be. But if you try to resist that, I mean, that tension just grows more and more and more and more. So, yeah, my teacher always says what's in the way is the way.
1: Yeah, I had a therapist who said there's no way through it but through it which is similar. Yeah. And it and it's funny cuz like my, I always want to do everything right. And so isn't that exactly what was showing up and that is hard to sit with. Yeah. Just the idea that I I'm not doing it right or I don't, you know, it's like the meanness is hard to sit with.
0: Yeah. And that's the other thing, like having to let go of doing it right. And if this is something that you've been thinking about, Jess, is like even questioning that that thought or that belief of where else does that show up in your life because it's great that we can sit and be with the mind on the cushion, but this is also showing up in our everyday lives all the time. And that's the beauty of the practice is like we can sit and get to know these ways of being very intimately. And more than often, it's always showing up and dictating how we're showing up in our everyday lives. So I, I always like to encourage people, like, don't just look at it here, but look at it in other areas of your life, in, re- in your relationships, do you tend to always want to do it right? At your work, are you a perfectionist? Are you always tend- wanting to do it right? Uh, you know, what's your relationship with perfectionism? Because in meditation, that illusion is going to be <laughs> like dissolved very quickly. There's no way of doing it right or getting it right. It's just being and sitting with what is.
1: That's amazing. And since I think Jess might be the first caller, Of all of our episodes to say that they were actually at this very early point in the practice, what Mm. advice would you give to Jess to build her practice?
0: You know, she said something really important about afterwards feeling calm. And notice that feeling, right? You just sat with that self-sabotage, that doubt. Notice how you feel afterwards. Every day it's going to be different. It's going to change, you know. Some days you're going to have a really great meditation practice. Other days it's going to be hard. Um, But just noticing how you're feeling afterwards, documenting everything. So for me, I have a meditation journal aside from my regular journal. Yeah, And every entry just begins with today i noticed and i'll write down what i noticed about my mind and being able to document that for the last 7 years has shown me like the evolution of my personal practice and That shows me like, okay, something's happening here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then when I look at my actual journal, I'm like, wow, I've been learning how to be more compassionate to my mom over these last seven years as my mind has begun to change with my practice. Or I'm no longer as reactive or, you know, I'm able to make make better decisions in my everyday life. So I would say document everything and staying consistent so, you know— I always like to share how I first started meditation. I meditated for the first time for an hour. I didn't meditate for two years after that. I was like, I've seen enough. I'm done. <laughs> Don't feel calm at all. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. I didn't go back for two years. <laughs> I would say being consistent, taking little, little bites, you know, three minutes every day, you can commit to that versus an hour every yeah. day. That's really hard to commit to. And then start to increase your time, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, But the most important thing with building your practice is staying consistent for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. And yeah. and good luck, Jess. Hang in there. Good things are coming.
0: Yes. you got this, Jess. And thank you for the honesty. I want to say that. Uh, And this was another quote shared for me from a teacher that I've been like sitting with is self-honesty is our salvation. So being able to be honest with yourself um, is what can save us, right? Things are hard for sure. Lean into that. There's nothing wrong with admitting that, you know, meditating is really, really difficult. I think at at times we can only highlight the benefits, right? I set boundaries. I am more compassionate. But it's like on the other side of that, there's the like struggle, the yeah, tension yeah. that arises maybe flashback memories so I think being able to be honest with yourself is what can make the journey sweeter
1: amazing all right let's move on to our next question from Vera hi this is fair from Mexico I live in Austria and I would like to know how to handle with family members that are fighting over a heritage we lost one great aunt and my sister and I heritage some goods from her and some other part of our family find it not fair and they are being a little mean towards us how to handle uh, set boundaries but don't hurt people of your family thank you so just to be clear, um she means inheritance, I believe, is, yeah. is 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 we just just so everybody's clear on that question. But that's a, a really wonderful question, Vera. Thank you for this. Yeah. And it's hard. Money brings
0: up money brings up weird things in people. Even just like material stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I and it's interesting because she had asked how to set boundaries and do it in a way that doesn't hurt them. And what I've learned in setting boundaries with my own family members, it doesn't matter how compassionately, how kind you set the boundaries Mm – If they're not used to having boundaries, if they don't understand what boundaries are, if they believe that boundaries are a way to shut people out of your life or to distance them or it's something like, I hate you, so I'm setting boundaries. Yeah. It's just never going to land in the right way. Doesn't matter how you dress it up. Doesn't matter how you say it. It just depends on where that other person is in their life and on their journey. So,
1: Well, and let's be honest. If you're setting a boundary with someone, it's because there's something not quite okay in the relationship that you are doing something because they're hurting you you're setting up a protection barrier because that person is hurting you so it's a nice idea to try to do it in in a nice way but i I don't think you can count on them hearing it you know the way that your your intention is
0: yeah exactly and i think with the uptick of people talking about boundaries um there's this idea that it's easy to do. You know what I mean? (laughs) Sometimes you'll see the post on Instagram and it's like five ways to set boundaries. (laughs) One, do this. Two, do that. And so you do those things and you realize... Oh. <laughs> There's more to this. I actually have to do this with a human being that is coming with their own experiences and their own triggers and all these yeah. different things that that Instagram account didn't account for.
1: So the, the idea of to, that you could teach someone to set boundaries in other, under 30 seconds is, and by pointing at things in the air is absurd in a, in a TikTok. Like,
0: <laughs> but that I you know that's the world that we live it in. It is. It is. You know what I mean? What's the cliff and notes. Yes. It's great because it's allowed people, you know, it's normalized conversation now, but I just think that the difficulty of it or the tension that can arise with setting boundaries is often forgotten in that. So, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to begin with saying, like, we may have the best intentions, but the impact that we make may not be what we were intending, Yeah, you know. Uh, When I used to work at the hospital, this is something that I would see all the time where— either a family member didn't have enough time to, like, create a will. And so there were their family members trying to figure out who gets what, and that causes so much chaos. Or the other side of that is, like, they do have a will, and someone that was expecting to receive X, Y, and Z wasn't even on the will to begin with. And it's such a hard thing to navigate. So (laughs) uncomfortable. It is so uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. It's like, what do you do in those situations? You know, what that person's not there to speak on their behalf. So I think in this situation, coming from a nurse standpoint, I would say get a, a mediator. You know, yeah. sometimes it's just good to call in that third party that's not a part of your family because, again, depending on how your family is, they may be enmeshed. You know, there's no boundaries whatsoever. What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. And it's hard, you yeah. know, to speak. From a different place. So having a third party there can help with like navigating, okay, this is what we can do. This is what this person said. This is what that person said. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, I think it it's what what can allow us to engage safely yeah. um, and healthily with your family.
1: I think that's a fantastic idea. And I yeah. would also add in like understanding what are your own expectations of yourself. I think if you are trying to please everyone, you're going to just be backed into a corner and it's going to be very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you know who Nadra Tawab is, but she's like a boundaries Dora, you goddess. you know I don't. You know I do yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> she's like a boundaries <laughs> goddess. She's a therapist. She's amazing. Her work is all about how to set boundaries in yeah. relationships. And um, I actually bought my mom that book because I was trying to set boundaries <laughs> with her and she just wouldn't listen. So I just like sent her the book on Amazon and she read it. And now it's like our relationship has been so much better. But one of the things that Nadra says in her book is like also identifying the expectations that you have for your family. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we again, you may see that Instagram post and it says to do all these things, but your family may not be there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, boundaries, whatever that means. Like, I want what you have. But being clear on like what is a realistic expectation that you can have when you are interacting and engaging with your family members. Because again, they may not be at that place where they even understand what boundaries are.
1: Yeah. You know, Dora, there's also a little bit in her question where she says she uses the word goods. And Mm -hmm. it it made me think about, you know, the difference between inheriting money and Mm -hmm. like family heirlooms you know like behind me i have this purple change jar that was my mom and dad's and it ended up with my mom and i i got it after she died and it always reminded me of stealing coins when i was a kid and it was in their bedroom and like exploring Mm. their bedroom and all that and it had in some ways a lot more memories than if i had been left money and i wonder if that adds complications to what's happening in the family as well
0: Yeah, for sure. I think so. It's like, what does that mean that you two were able to receive this thing and nobody else got it? I feel like unintentionally there's like a... Uh, hierarchy there of yeah, like yeah. you two are worthy of receiving this stuff and the rest of you aren't and I think having the conversation around hey I get it you know this may seem like our great aunt was only valuing or seeing us as worthy to receive these items but that's not the case you yeah. know and maybe there this is a moment to uh, have compassionate communication with your family members of like let's hear your side and your perception and hear here's what we're thinking and that can help to bring you all closer if that's possible. Because I know sometimes having conversations yeah. with family member may go the other way, but I mean, it could be a an opening for you all to just have a really honest conversation about beyond the material goods, just how is everyone feeling? Yeah. You know, yeah. what is everyone's perception of this? What is, what is it that you are believing about this moment? And how can we work together to like come to the truth of the reality? We lost someone that we love. They left us with this thing um and we all want a piece of it so
1: but i think i go back to what we said in the beginning that all these things are jumbled up around death yeah dora's point about remembering that people are grieving and that that could be where they're coming from that just having those open dialogues may really help settle things down so that you can have a real conversation about what's really happening
0: yeah
1: uh well good luck vera with your family we're sending love to your family yes yeah all right let's go on to our final question of the day from Selma hello my name is Selma from Gresham Oregon I struggle a great deal uh, with keeping good finances and during the holiday season it is incredibly stressful and a lot of extra pressure it's almost a primal instinct to just spend money and it's something that is way, way far out of my control and has obviously gotten me into a bit of trouble. I would be very curious to learn if there's any tips or tricks that you guys have that I can use to help bring me out of that mindset. I, at my wits end, this has become such a huge problem for me so any help is much appreciated, thanks. Oh, thank you, Salma. I mean, I, I don't know, Dora, what you think, but I'm going to start immediately yeah. with twelve step. I, I, um, I, I'll be interested to hear what you think as well, because I just yeah. like I heard, I heard phrases in there like "wits end," "out of yeah. control," you know, that it's gotten her into trouble, and it's that's the yeah. whole basis of a twelve step program. If your life is unmanageable. And Mm -hmm. there are all kinds of like debtors, anonymous. There's, I believe, a spending program, you know, as well. I'm not as familiar with uh, those groups, but I think that might be a really interesting place. And it may not be where you live forever, but it might be an interesting place to walk in and to help you start to discover what's underneath the spending. Because I think yeah. spending is, it's very similar to drinking, to drugs, to yeah. food. It is a way to quiet voices yeah, and feelings often.
0: Yeah, I, um, I'm thinking about how Selma said primal instincts. Yes. And what came up for me is that chasing of like dopamine, of pleasure. Yes. As humans, we seek out pleasure, right? And something with shopping, there is that, for me, I know, I have like a buzz, you know, I get this like little high of like, <laughs> I'm going to buy the thing. It's there. I buy it. It arrives. And then it's just like back to zero. I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably haven't even worn that thing yet. Or I haven't even used it. You know, you're chasing that high and yeah. then you have to come back down. And it's very short term. There is that sense of maybe relief there. You have scratched the itch, but it's like unless you find a sense of contentment with your purchases, you're forever going to be chasing after that feeling of like, I've bought this thing. It's amazing. Sometimes I'll start to think like, my life is going to change. Like, I'm going to feel so much better when I have bought this thing. <laughs> and then, I, you know, and then you just continue down that, you know, that, that cycle again and again and again. And, I mean, the trick is mindfulness, being aware of what's going on within your mind and body, right? That getting to know your inner landscape right? What am I experiencing as I'm wanting to buy that thing? What's going on? Uh, What are the thoughts that I'm thinking? What are the sensations in my body? And I was reading a research article about how gamblers who practice mindfulness were able to be more aware of what was going on within themselves, but also have better self-control and make better decisions. And like kind of what you said about 12 steps, like mindfulness has been used to help people who are impulsive or compulsive spenders. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's because we're connecting to like, what am I actually thinking in these moments? Well, like what's you know? happening?
1: Like why Why do I want to like – because it doesn't matter if you're drinking, yeah. if you're eating, if you're gambling, if you're spending. Why yeah. am I uncomfortable in myself right now?
0: Yeah. During the pandemic when we were all at home, I got really interested in skincare and investing in how to <laughs> I be I don't know why that's funny, but it is financially, financially wealthy. <laughs> 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 but one of the things I learned from this lady called the Bhajanista, she has this like four questions that she'll ask herself in order to be a more mindful spender. She asks, Do I need it? Do I love it? Do I like it? Do I want it? And that's like based on a hierarchy of like need mm-hmm. is important, right? We yeah. all have our needs. Those things should be prioritized first. Do I love it? Could be like vacations, a good time with family, maybe like a dinner once in a while. Do I like it? Eh, you know, maybe it fluctuates, don't like it, don't really need it, but it's something nice to have. And then want is like that primal, I want this thing. I, you know what I mean? It's, it's not as uh, important as like a need would be. And so that's something that. I started to ask myself because during the pandemic, I spent a lot of time at home, wanting mm-hmm. to like refurnish my house and buy new things, and being able to have that self inquiry was really, really helpful. Of like, wait a minute, <laughs> do I actually need this thing? <laughs> no, I don't need another couch. I already have a couch. Like, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. And another another thing that I did was attend a course called the Trauma of Money, Ooh. and this was really important for me because. It invited me to understand what my relationship to money was based on how it was modeled to me as a child. And so one, one of my money scripts or the narratives that I hold about money was that my parents are very religious and, you know, they would always say that God would provide and so it's like, you know, spend frivol- frivolously and God will provide. It will come from somewhere. You know what I mean? And that's what I grew up believing. Like, it will come from somewhere. There's no logic in that, really. It's just like this belief that money will appear. And as an adult, I'm like, I have to work. I have bills. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have things that need to be, you know, taken care of. And, um, understanding what my relationship to money was by looking at the relationship that my parents had with money really yes. helped me to understand, like, oh, these are the narratives and the the narratives and the thoughts and beliefs that I have around spending and buying and investing and saving money and working with those narratives has allowed me to create new ones, which yeah. has been so helpful.
1: It's so funny um cuz I I'm I'm cheating on Dear Headspace. I host another podcast called Well Adjusting and we yeah. talk a lot about finances on that podcast. And one yes. of the first things that I always say to people is what's your relationship to money? Like what is your family history? What's the generational trauma that's handed to you around money? And mm. for me, we had money but it turned out we really didn't. Like they were yeah. very chaotic and spending over their limits and then they got divorced and then we had no money. Yeah. And so I have to I have to stop myself and I have to look and go, "Okay, is this Is this Mm. about my trauma or is this about the moment that's actually happening? Like, do we have enough money? Is it okay? Like all of those questions that you're talking about, it's so important to get to what's Mm. underneath it and what your relationship to money is. It's critical.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting that money is such a, I don't know like so even now even though I've done all this work to like reframe my relationship to it it still makes me cringe a little yeah. bit you know I can still lose sleep yeah. I can still really spiral when it comes to like a big bill or it's like I, even though I know I have money saved and I've been investing and I'm more financially literate it still creates this like bodily sensation and thankfully I have my mindfulness practice to help me like oh, okay, my breathing has increased. Yes. My heart rate yes. has increased. Yes. I need to take a beat. I don't need to go on Amazon and try to yes. find something that's going to help me regulate my heart rate. Like, I just need to chill. Yeah. Um, and It's I'm like, so what's your trigger?
1: Like how you know yeah. you're off the mark. And mine is when I start doing mental gymnastics, when yes. I start going, all right, if I move this money over here, and then I move yes. this money here, and then we'll have 25% of that, and then we do this, and then I have some in my back pocket. Like, as soon as I yeah. start doing that, I know I'm triggered, and I'm yeah. I'm not in the present.
0: Yeah. And, you know, having an accountability buddy, I think, is also really important. You mentioned 12 steps again. Like, there's people there that will hold you accountable. Let me see your statements, you know, checking in every day. How did you do? How did you feel? Um, Because shame really grows in in isolation and in silence. And so being able to have that trusted person that you can confide in of like, you know, I really want to buy this thing right now and really struggling. I'm not sure I need it. Just being able to say it out loud and let those words live outside your body and have someone there console you or empower you not to spend or make you kind of think about, you know, other options is really, really helpful.
1: You know, I keep thinking about um, Kesanga. Always talks about the the stop and proceed with it at the end, and that's very also twelve steppy too. Like at the end, you're saying and yeah. proceed with the next right action.
0: Yeah, I mean, always come back to the stop. I was like, should I mention that? I'm yes. sure. It's I don't think it can <laughs> ever, ever be mentioned episodes. too much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how you disrupt that cycle. Is like when you notice that you have that thought, or there is that feeling or sensation. Like stop, take a moment observe what's going on in your mind and body and hopefully you can proceed with intention or choice or you know an action that is more aligned with what it is that you're working towards so stop so it's a, it's a good one it's a great one
1: well selma we are with you and brighter days ahead it's it's a struggle but you will you will come through this
0: yeah, I want I wanna emphasize we are the we are with you. Like I'm I mean, alongside you. So clearly, you.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> so clearly I was listening we're with to you. this. So
0: I was like, Ooh <laughs> Yep, I've been there for sure. So you are not alone, Selma. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, as we start to say goodbye to everyone, I just have to say, this this episode in particular, what an incredible variety of questions that just came mm-hmm. from all over the place and were all so wonderful.
0: Yeah, so juicy, but like reflection of the human condition, like we all struggle, whether it's with family, money, and with our own minds, like this is just a part of the human experience. So I really love that we are able to sit here and chat and start to dispel some of the myths that exists around the practice and mindfulness. Yes. You know, today's episodes had me thinking about Sam's Compassionate Communication course, which I think, you know, we can always learn ways of getting better to communicate more compassionately and kindly, so highly recommend (laughs) for those of you who want to check it out. Sam is so great, and there's just so much wisdom to be offered in that course, so check it out in the Headspace app.
1: Thank you to our callers today for such, I mean, just absolutely thoughtful and diverse questions. And if you are out there and you are listening to us and you, you feel like you have this burning question that you'd love some advice on, we've made it so easy for you to submit your question. Just go to sayhi.chat slash Dear Headspace, or you can just like click the link in the show notes, follow the prompts, record your question. And the beauty of it is if we use your question on the show, you're going to get three months free of
0: Headspace. Ooh, three months, three months of maybe me or Sam or Eve, Kaysonga, Everybody. Rosie. Not me yes. though. That's the beauty. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, please keep those questions coming. I mean, we get to help y'all, but we also are able to grow as teachers. Yeah. I love being able to chew on these questions and think about them and reflect on them in my own practice. So... In the spirit of mindfulness and meditation, we're going to take a moment now just to sit and bask in the goodness of the Yellowstone Firehole River. Um, So wherever you are, just take a moment to sit back, relax and enjoy the sounds of nature.
1: Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy
0: and be kind to each other.
1: Dear Headspace is a Headspace Studios original podcast. It's produced by Robin Hopkins, Ash Jones, and Scott Sorensen. It's executive produced by Morgan Selzer, Sarah Cohen, Baron Farmar, and Danny Christamy. It's hosted and produced by Robin Hopkins, Kesanga Giscombe, Dora Kamau, Samantha Snowden, and Eve Lewis Prieto. Sound recording and post production is by Dan Kroll. Music is by Scott Sorensen and Chris Mergia. And a very special thanks to Colleen Lutz.